Corinthians. If you would turn with me in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to be looking at the first 12 verses. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's go ahead and read uh, verses 1 through 13 together, and then we'll pray. So this is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. It says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and that the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must first partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things." Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation to which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. He cannot deny himself. Let's pray together. Fathers, you instruct us in this passage to be strong in grace, the the grace that's given to us in Christ Jesus. We pray that we would really understand what that means and that you would pour out your grace afresh in our lives. We admit to you our brokenness, our weakness, our our failures, our shortcomings, our lack of strength. And God, would you just heap that grace upon our lives to strengthen us for the task. Pray we would have endurance like a soldier, hardworking like a farmer, obedient like an athlete. So would you take your word and plant it deep within our hearts. We welcome you here, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Gideon gets the assignment from God pretty daunting. There's 135,000 Midianites and only 32,000 of the army of Israel. When you do that math, you're outnumbered one to four. Not very good odds. One to four. God, though, doesn't like the numbers. He feels like we need to restack the deck, if you would. So he has Gideon tell these 32,000 men, if any of you are afraid, go ahead and go home. So 10,000 go home. They're like, I'm not ashamed to admit this. I am afraid. The odds are not looking good. It's four to one. I'm going home. So now they're down to 22,000 guys. Now the ratio is one Israelite to 13 Midianites. Gets worse. But God still doesn't like the numbers. God's like, okay, go out to this brook. Get some water. Only the guys that are cupping up the water with their hands are the ones that you are to retain for battle. That was only 300. 300 of the 22,000. Now what are the odds? 300 against 135,000. It's 1 to 450. 
Now, if there was one of me and four guys in the back alley, look out for the four guys. No, no, I, I don't like those odds very well. I wouldn't be hanging out in the, in the back alley. <laughs> Say the least for 1 to 13 or 1 to 450. But if you're familiar with that story with Gideon, God is bringing them to the place of weakness to where he can be glorified. And 300 men defeat 135,000. And what we'll find is the exhortation that Paul gives to Timothy to be strong in grace. Strong in grace. And those two words don't seem to go together, do they? To be strong in grace. Grace is a gift that's outside of ourselves. It's unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. So we're to be strong in a source that doesn't come from us. So how do we get to that place where we can walk in grace and be strong in grace? That's what we're going to look at tonight as we go through these verses together. So join me in verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. These are Paul's last words. Last words are powerful. He's in a dungeon about ready to be executed. This is the last letter, the last epistle that we have from the Apostle Paul. He's writing to Timothy, who's his son in the faith, who's younger. Timothy is timid. He's struggling using his gifts. He seems to want to walk away from his calling. He's having problems with his health. He's being challenged by the Lord and by Paul to step up to the calling that God has given to him. And here he says, my son, I want you to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, you are weak. You are young. You are timid. You are struggling with this physical ailment, but yet God has the grace to give to you to provide the strength for the task at hand. Do you know that God has already provided the grace to strengthen you? It's not whether or not God has heaped out grace upon your life. He's already given it. In John 1 verse 16, it says, and of his fullness, we have all received grace for grace. So if you know Christ, in Christ, we've received grace upon grace, the fullness of grace. God has and is and will continue to heap favor upon your life, grace upon your life. So if there is grace for salvation, grace for eternal life, grace for forgiveness, then there's also grace for our current situation to be used by the Lord, to be strengthened, to not have to walk away from our calling, walk away from the things that the Lord has asked us to do. Isn't that encouraging to know that God has given us that grace in Christ Jesus? James 4 verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. So he has already given that grace to us. So what is the key ingredient that causes us to experience this grace that results in strength? It's humility. Humility is the quality which opens up the floodgates for God's grace to come into my life. So if Timothy's at a place here as a young pastor where he's like, I've got this figured out. I know what I'm doing. I've gotten my education. I've learned from the best. How much grace do you think is going to be poured upon him to result in strength? None at all. In fact, God would resist him in that condition of pride. But if Timothy realizes who he is, realizes that God's calling is greater than him, he's saying, Lord, you've got to show up. 
God, you have to strengthen me. God, would you give me the grace for the task at hand? Maybe that's the way that you feel in some things that God has called you to. You go, man, I know that I'm to be married. God's called me to be married, but I don't know how I fulfill the role that God has given me to do. God's grace. You're in the right spot. You're realizing that you don't have the strength necessary. Ask God for help. Give him the opportunity to provide grace for strength. As a parent, don't we need grace resulting in strength, don't we? Our kids need grace resulting in strength. So we go to the Lord and say, God, I'm inadequate as a parent. I I need your help. Would you please give me strength and give me grace? In your workplace, maybe you have a difficult job, difficult co-workers, hard hearts to, to Christ. Every day, getting up and going to work is a difficulty. Do you think there could be grace that God would give to result in strength? But for me in my life and difficulties that I go through, oftentimes I don't come to God's grace first. What do I do? I try harder. I try to pull myself up by my bootstraps, try to do it in my own strength, come up with ideas and strategies to be able to to make this, this work. I wish I came quicker to weakness, quicker to, to brokenness. I mean, put yourself in Gideon's shoes. How does it feel to be facing 135,000 with only 32,000 and then to go all the way down to 300? And how is that God's plan and how is that good news? Maybe you feel like that's what your source of strength has been doing. Seems like it's been depleting and the difficulty gets greater, but God is providing the atmosphere for his grace. Timothy is in over his head so that God can give grace resulting in strength. And he says, Timothy, I want you to understand this. You have to be strong in grace. We've been talking about God using our lives, and I think this is a really important lesson if you want God to use your life, is to trust his grace. That's what Timothy needs to learn. It's not my hard work. It's not my effort. It's not my ability. It's not how much I pray or how much scripture memory I have, or how charismatic my personality is, I'm trusting in God's grace. I'm trusting in God's heart and desire to reach people. That's how we approach our neighborhood. We go, God, you're already working in my neighborhood. I know you want to use me to be a part of that, so I'm trusting in your grace. I'm trusting in in your goodness. Be strong in grace. I think when we're walking in grace, when we realize, man, I don't have what it takes and God is giving me his grace to strengthen me, then we're a lot more gracious with others. Wouldn't you agree? So part of being strong in grace is receiving it. And as I'm receiving it, I'm willing to give it. I realize I'm broken. I realize I'm flawed. I realize I'm cracked. And then I'm willing to give that to others and share that with others. This grace, it's in Christ Jesus. So because of who Christ is, that grace gets heaped into our lives. In verse 2, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is an important verse for Timothy. Timothy has had the privilege of learning from Paul. But it's not just understood that Timothy will come to the understanding that this teaching needs to be shared. What he's learned from Paul is to be passed on to others so that multiplication can take place. 
so that there's more than just one leader in the church of Ephesus where Timothy is, is pastoring. But there's a multitude of people who have the ability to teach. And that the work of God would then go outside of Ephesus to other places as people are receiving and they're sharing. Tonight, you are receiving God's word. And every time that we receive God's word, whether it's in our quiet time or it's a message like this or a book or a podcast, is to say, God, I know that I'm learning this for my own life, but then you're also teaching me this to be able to share it with someone else. Who do you share it with? Scripture tells us Timothy was to find faithful men, reliable men, who then would take what they're learning and go and share it with, with someone else. So you're looking for somebody who's hungry, who's teachable, who has a desire to go and share it with someone else. This will affect the way we listen. When I know that I've got to teach, I prepare in a different way. I'm learning in another way. If I told you tonight, okay, tomorrow night you're teaching 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 13, how would that affect the way you listen tonight? Okay, I'm being held responsible where I need to share this. I need to teach it to, to, to someone else. And that's the beauty of teaching is you're going to learn it in a greater way. My life was really touched and changed by a fellow high school student that would come to school with their Bible, having underlined what they had read, looking for other high school students to share it with. I had never met any of my peers who loved the Lord that way, and I grew up in church and going to Christian school. But she came to school with this idea, God has shown me something in my devotions, and I'm trusting that he's going to give me somebody the opportunity to share it with. So, so no joke, she'd walk down the halls of the high school, she'd have her Bible, and she'd say, you know what I read in my devotions today? And she'd just lay it on you. Here's, here's the Bible verse for today. But it was something that God had touched her with and something that God had, had taught her. And it impacted my life. This does not have to be complicated. In fact, in order for it to be reproducible, it has to be simple. And sometimes simplicity is hard to come by. Steve Jobs, now I don't promote his theology, but he did have a great quote, so I'm going to use it. Simple can be harder than complex. You have to work hard to get your thinking clean to make it simple. But it's worth it in the end because once you get there, you can move mountains. Apple products, the iPhone, you might like it, you might hate it, but one thing is it is simple. You can use it. That's why I like Apple products. They're user-friendly. And Steve Jobs built a company off of simplicity. We want something that works. We want something that's simple that people can figure out how to use. And so as we're sharing God's word with people, we've got to stop and think, can they then pass that on to something else, somebody else? Is it simple enough for them to catch it and for them to be able to share it? So I want to challenge all of us tonight when was the last time that you shared God's word with somebody else, believer or unbeliever? When was the last time that God spoke to your heart enough where you shared a verse with your spouse? Don't you love it when your spouse does that? If you're a believer, 
When your spouse is like, hey, I read this in my devotions today, and they encourage you with it, man, it's so good. It's such a blessing. And if your spouse is an unbeliever, God would use that in their life as well. In the life of your kids, to be able to say, man, this is what God has has spoken to me. If you're single with your friends, with your roommates, but to say, I am going to start taking the responsibility of being a teacher. It's not just for Eric or the pastoral staff. It's not just for James Dobson or for Franklin Graham or Greg Laurie or those guys are the teachers. I I don't have the responsibility of, of being a teacher where God says that we're learning for the purpose of teaching. We're learning for the purpose of sharing. And as we're sharing it, we're holding the person accountable to say, you know what, you need to pass this on to somebody else. So you, you share it with your spouse, you share it with your kids, you share it with a coworker, and you say, you know what, if that touched you, would you share it with somebody else? And I'm going to encourage you to do this real time, FaceTime, not just Facebook. Now it's great sharing verses on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and I do it too. God uses it, and I'm encouraged when you post those verses on Scripture. But go a step further and say, you know, I'm going to have a face-to-face conversation with somebody. I'm going to share with them what God has shared with me. And then this is what I think is going to happen, is you're going to be blown away at what God does. You're going to be blown away how God is going to use that simple truth that you read. How would it look from tonight's Bible study? Maybe there's one verse that really stands out, that he's faithful while we're faithless. So somebody's struggling, struggling with sin, struggling with their unfaithfulness, and you go, you know what? God encouraged me with this verse. He's faithful when we're faithless. You're reading your devotions, there's something that stands out, and you underline it, you write it down, and you're you're determined, I'm going to share this with someone. I'm going to pass this on to to someone else. What's really interesting about verse 2 is Timothy didn't even receive this from Paul in a one-on-one setting. At the beginning of this verse, it says, you receive this among many witnesses. So so Timothy heard a lot of this, sure, in a one-on-one context, But he also heard it in a setting like this. Well, amongst many witnesses, and Paul says, now you know it and you share it with with somebody else. And you can imagine the multiplication that starts to take place. Timothy shares with five dudes. Each of those five dudes share with five other dudes. Five times five, I think, is 25. And then you just keep doing the multiplication from there to there, and God's word goes out and the fruit comes from the word of God. Something is stagnant in my life when I'm not sharing the word of God, when I'm only receiving and I'm not giving. So, so God is teaching me so that I can then share that with others. Verse 3 and verse 4, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one can engage in warfare. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has enlisted him as a soldier. He challenges him to be a faithful soldier. This is one of Paul's favorite analogies. The armor of Christ. To fight the good fight. We think about a soldier, and a soldier must go through hardship and must endure hardship. 
they enlist with that in mind. As a servant of Christ, as a minister of Christ for Timothy, he has to understand part of that is I'm going to have to endure hardship. And in your mindset of serving the Lord, have you come to that conclusion that there's a battle, that there's a spiritual battle, and God is calling us to see it through just as a good soldier does? Why does a soldier enter into the conflict? Why does he be willing to suffer in such a great way? You think about some of the ways that soldiers suffer. There's intense physical suffering and physical endurance that's needed in battle. Something that I can't comprehend, not having been in battle. There's an emotionally great endurance. As you're in a deployment and you're away from your family, the, the emotion of that and the endurance that, that it takes, why would they go through that? Because they believe in the cause, right? The cause is worthwhile. We think of 9-11 and when our country was attacked and a whole generation responding and enlisting, not being drafted, enlisting to be a soldier, be a warrior, because they saw our country as something worthwhile to fight for. They, they, they engaged in the cause. And see, Timothy, he's kind of standing on the sidelines. He's like, I, I don't know if I want to follow God completely. I don't know if I want to use my gifts. I don't know if the, the suffering's worth it. And here he's being exhorted by Paul and saying, you need to endure hardship as a soldier. The battle is, is worthwhile. And he calls him to a place of focus. And he says that as a soldier is fighting in a war, he can't be entangled with civilian affairs. He's not worried about his, his bank account or how he's going to pay his mortgage. He's simply consumed with, how am I going to make it through this moment? Here I am being shot at and, and firing at others. My life is upon the line. And it's this kind of focus that Timothy's being called to. And it's a focus upon eternity, saying, you're going to heaven. You're in this battle temporarily. Don't lose focus. And then there's this desire to please the one who's enlisted him. I've heard soldiers share in combat what really motivates them and moves them is their fellow soldiers. In that moment, that's what they're fighting for. And for us, as we endure hardship, it's that we want to please Jesus. We want to please the captain of our souls. He's enlisted us into his army, and we want him to be pleased. Do you remember the parable of the sower? One of the conditions of the soil was where the seed is planted, but the word doesn't take root because the sun comes up and scorches it. And Jesus said, it's like the person who received the word with great joy, but then upon tribulation, they gave up, right? They, they didn't persevere. And so for us, do we anticipate that there's going to be hardship, that there's going to be difficulty, and sometimes difficulty because of the word. Timothy's going to face difficulty because of the gospel and suffering for the gospel, but it's worthwhile, and he's to engage as a soldier. Do you see yourself as a soldier of Christ? Do you see yourself fighting in the midst of, of this battle? We have three illustrations here that speak of our life with Christ. The first was a faithful soldier, and then we have an obedient athlete in verse 5. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Paul and Timothy, they live in a culture of 
the Olympics, watching the Olympics take, take place. If you don't compete according to the rules, you're disqualified. So Paul uses this as an analogy as well. In the Olympics, it's called the cruelest rule in sports. You know what it is? It's track and field. If you get a false start, you're immediately disqualified. That rule was changed in 2010. So you got people that have trained for almost their whole life to get to that moment in the Olympics, and you start a millisecond too soon, and you are disqualified. That's it. And that's why it's called the cruelest rule in sports. You used to get a warning. No more warnings. You didn't compete according to the rules. So a good athlete trains, but also knows I have to obey the rules. I've got to compete according to the rules. I may not like the rules, but if I want to win the crown, I'm going to have to follow the rules. So that's used in our spiritual life to say, I don't want to be disqualified from receiving the crown. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 and 25, Paul writes and he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. An athlete works so hard and obeys the rules simply to get a crown that perishes. But we're to be after a crown that doesn't perish. And the Bible writes a lot about crowns. We find in Revelation that the 24 elders have a crown. And they're laying down this crown at the feet of Jesus in worship. So this is the idea here. I want to be obedient in this life so that God will grant to me the victor's crown. We all have received salvation. If you know Christ as your Savior, you're in Christ. But it matters how you live your life now. It matters how I live my life now. Paul says at the end of his life, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, he says, Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, with the, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. He says, I want the victor's crown. He said, the way I live now, it matters. I, I need to be self-controlled. I need to be obedient because I want that crown so that I can lay it down at the feet of Jesus. It always hurts when a brother or sister in Christ, because of sinful choices, is disqualified from the ministry that God has given them to do. It's heartbreaking. Oh, man, look at the way that the Lord was using them. Look at how he was encouraging people and touching people's lives for eternity. But because of sin, because of willful rebellion. Now, God is gracious, and over time and walking in repentance, God restores and can use that person again. But for that moment and that season, they're disqualified. Maybe you look at a time of your life as a believer and you go, you know what, during that time I was in rebellion to God and I was still God's child, but he was correcting me and during that season I was disqualified from being used from the Lord the way that he could. And so that's the crown. The crown is what we receive in eternity 
and being in a place by God's grace that he could, could use us. In paraphrase, what this is saying is obedience matters. The, the soldier needs to endure so that he can see the victory, and the athlete needs to compete according to the rules so that he can have the victor's crown. So don't be discouraged. Be, be encouraged in obedience. We all have areas of our lives that God wants to grow us in the area of obedience. God's not speaking to uh, this to us in a way of condemnation, but one of his forgiveness and restoration and saying, okay, now it's time to start being obedient in this area. You want to be used by the Lord? Okay, don't let this disqualify you from being used by the Lord. And again, we get to be strong in grace. You go, God, I've never been able to conquer this area of my life. It's always stumbled me. But I see that you're calling me to walk in a greater way of holiness. So Lord, I'm trusting your grace and I'm choosing to walk in obedience. The third illustration that we're giving is a hardworking farmer. Can we get an amen? Man, farmers are hard workers. There's a Cartier farm in North Dakota, distant family to me, but my dad would go there growing up and work on the farm for the summer. There's a Monopoly game of North Dakota, and the Cartier farm is on it. We do have the, the Monopoly game uh, somewhere. I went one time to the farm growing up in, in elementary school. We took a family trip out there. And what I do remember is these second cousins of mine getting up extremely early in the morning, getting on these tractors, and working all day long during the, the harvest time. Just these extremely long hours. They had some pretty awesome tractors and some pretty amazing equipment. And in Timothy's day and Paul's day, they didn't have that equipment. I mean, the farmers work hard now, and they worked even exponentially hard in Timothy's and Paul's day. So this is given to us as an encouragement. The hardworking farmer must first be a partaker of the crops. So farmers work hard so that they can get the crops Timothy needs to work hard as a pastor and what God is calling him to. And remember, we're all called to serve the Lord. And there's just times in life where we've got to roll up our sleeves and work hard. God honors hard work. He's going to honor hard work in your marriage, with your kids, in your friendships, in your church, in your job. It's worship unto the Lord to, to work hard. And so here, this is the challenge. Just like the soldier is to endure and the athletes to be obedient, is we need to work hard. God is glorified in a good old-fashioned day of hard work. You know? Say, man, this is what God's given me to do. And I've applied myself to do it. This is what my hand has found to do, and I've done it under the glory of God. But then there's an interesting part at the end of this where it says that the farmer has to be a partaker of the crops. This farmer has needs, and if he simply sells all of his goods to others and never eats of it himself, he's not going to be sustained. So as we're laboring in God's field, we have to first receive of what we're giving out. We talked about passing on what we've learned, but we first have to learn it ourselves. I was talking with a friend today, and he was encouraging in this concept of preaching to yourself. You know, a lot of times we we preach to others. We always want others to be doing this and doing that. 
But when have we preached to ourselves? When have we received from the message that we're giving out to others? And so that's the encouragement to Timothy. You're, you're teaching, you're sharing, you're giving all of these messages, but have they impacted you? Are you partaking of what you're, you're giving out? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God's blessing, hard work. In verse 7, consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. So Timothy, as you stop, pause, meditate upon these things, then God's going to give you understanding. Don't you love it when God gives understanding? God can accomplish more in a moment than we can accomplish in a lifetime. God can give more understanding in a whisper than we can get in a lifetime outside of him. And as we meditate on the soldier and the farmer, and the athlete, then God gives us understanding. Kent Hughes wrote this, beyond warfare is victory, beyond athlete's effort is the prize, and beyond agricultural labor is the crop. I believe for some of you, this is exactly what you need to hear tonight. Think about the victory that's going to come with endurance. Think about the crown that's going to come with obedience. Think about the crop that's going to come with hard work. None of those things are easy, but the fruit is worthwhile. Be strong in God's grace to that end. Verses 8 and 9, remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, the seed of David speaks of his humanity, that he was a descendant of David, of the lineage of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel. When Paul says my gospel, he's saying that it's impacted me and I take ownership to share it. Not that he has possession of it, but that it's impacted him and he's been commissioned to share it. It's my gospel for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Paul says because of the gospel, he suffers trouble as an evildoer. Isn't that what we're finding more and more today in our culture, February 2017? If you're committed to the gospel, you may suffer trouble as an evildoer for it. Now, you can go to work on a Monday morning and talk about all kind of craziness that you did over the weekend, but you start talking about Jesus and some heads are going to spin, right? Because that's the culture that we're living in. It's anti the gospel, and that's what Paul's experiencing as well. Even to the point where Paul's in chains, but he says the word of God is not chained. You can chain Paul, but you can't chain the word of God. We see this in countries that persecute the church and try to stop the message of scripture. Through God's power and his infinite wisdom, Christianity explodes. The Chinese government has done their best to shut down the gospel, but the word of God cannot be chained. The word of God cannot be stopped. Right now in Iran, is there's a lot of religious persecution and persecution against Christians, the gospel is exploding. Why? Because the word of God cannot be chained. You can chain Paul, you can chain the messenger, but you can't chain the word of God. In verse 10, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And Paul's saying it's worth it. He's challenging Timothy, man, be willing to suffer. 
He's saying, I don't have any regrets at the end of my life. I was willing to suffer for the elect so that they could be encouraged. As we suffer, God is glorified and others benefit. We end with this faithful saying tonight. This is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. So the suffering is worthwhile. If we're killed for Christ, we're going to live with Christ. If we endure, we shall reign with him. This is part of the Christian life. We're going to get to rule and reign with Christ. How does God give out his assignments in his millennial kingdom? Based on your faithfulness now. So how does that all work? I have no idea. But Paul says, if we endure, we'll reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. Never want to minimize scripture. I always want to try to share what it says and what God means. Jesus said, if we deny him before men, he will deny us before the Father. But if we confess him before men, he'll confess us before the Father. Jesus is not ashamed of us, so we should not be ashamed of him. There may be moments in our life where we denied the Lord, like Peter. God restored Peter, he restores us. But we move out of that place of denial to complete commitment to Christ where we're willing to confess him. Don't be afraid to declare that you're a Christ follower. Don't be afraid to express that you believe in the Lord. He's confessed you publicly and for us to be able to say, I trust him. He's my savior. He died for my sins. Because it's sobering. If we deny him, he denies us. But then there's this balancing statement that's given to us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. What a beautiful truth from the Lord. How many times in my life have I been faithless? So many. But God has remained faithful. He can't deny himself. I've been reading in the Psalms before I go to bed, and I've been reading out of the ESV version, and normally I read the New King James Version. And the ESV version translates God's mercy as his steadfast love. I've really been refreshed as I've been reading all of the places in the Psalms that say God's mercy in New King James in the ESV version It says his steadfast love. His love doesn't change. His love doesn't go up and down with my performance. It remains. It's steadfast. He's faithful even when we're faithless. We see this in the life of Peter. He did deny the Lord, but Christ went to the cross and he died. Came to restore Peter. He came to the shore on the Sea of Galilee, prepared what Peter was looking for, fish. John recognizes the Lord, points Peter in the right direction. Peter swims to the shore, has this conversation with Peter. Do you love me more than these? Peter says, Lord, you know that that I love you. God then says to Peter, feed my sheep. God was faithful to Peter in the midst of that place where Peter was unfaithful. It's the faithfulness of God in our unfaithfulness that should win our hearts. It should cause us to come to that place of going, oh God, you love me. God, I feel so convicted that you've been faithful while I've been unfaithful to you. If God's faithfulness 
results in a license for our sin, we've misunderstood his grace. Does that make sense? And that moment where Peter realized that God was, was faithful when he denied the Lord, it broke him and it moved him for deeper love for the Lord. And that's what it should do in our lives. Not where it becomes this foundation for sin or, well, if I do this, God will forgive me. But, oh Lord, you never left. God, you were faithful in the midst of, of my faithfulness. So how does God want you to respond to the word tonight? To apply the text? To be strong in God's grace? I know that we have talked about and read God's grace, but as you take communion tonight, would you be desperate before the Lord, be humble before the Lord, and be confident that he wants to pour out grace into our areas of weakness? Where do you feel called, but you feel inadequate? Where do you feel like you're falling short? Is it this concept of needing to suffer? Say, God, would you be gracious to me? He's ready to pour out grace. He's already done it in his son. Depend upon his grace. Have you never seen yourself as a teacher of God's word? He said, you know, I love learning. I love underlining. I love studying. I love Wednesday night study. I love men's study, women's study. I love podcasts. I love listening through the Bible, but I've never seen myself as a teacher. Well, guess what? God wants you to share with reliable people, with people who are hungry. Come with that perspective. Come to your devotions tomorrow morning saying, God, I want to learn so that I can share with someone else. Come and go, okay, I'm going to teach 2 Timothy chapter 2, the first 13 verses. Husbands, I would encourage you to do family devotions with your family. It's not rocket science. Maybe a book like Philippians, do one verse a night, one verse. We're going to go through the book of Philippians together as a family. Sit down at the dinner table, read the verse, say, hey, this is what I think that it's saying. You know, don't get all too theological on them. You don't have to be Spurgeon or use a preacher voice or any of those type of things. But allow God's word to touch you and then share, share it with your family. Come, come up with a plan. Maybe Second Timothy's really been ministering to you. And you go, man, these are great attributes that I would love to teach to my kids. You, you could do a verse a night through these 13 verses. And just say, okay, we're going to look at a soldier who endures. We're going to look at an athlete who is, is obedient. But say, okay, dad, I'm a spiritual leader in my family and I, I'm going to start to teach. Moms to, to teach. Singles to teach. It, it doesn't matter what the place is in our life. God has people that he's wanting for us to share with and approach the scriptures that way. For me, it always helps to apply things right away. So if you're being challenged in this area that it's time to teach, then take that step right away. Take, take that step in the next 24 hours. Endure hardship as a good soldier. Are you at a place tonight where you say, you know what, it's hard. I feel like giving up. I didn't realize that this is what I signed up for. No one told me that there'd be persecution because I'm a Christian. We're trying to apply God's word in our marriage and things have gotten really difficult. You endure. Brother or sister in Christ, endure. Don't look for the back door. Don't run away. Press in. Say, this is where God has me. I'm a soldier and I'm going to endure. And I'm going to keep enduring 
until the victory comes? How about an obedient athlete to get the crown? Maybe somewhere in your understanding of the Lord, you've thought, you know, obedience doesn't really matter. It's really okay if I act this way, or if I I look at this, or if I lose my temper, or, or walk in covetousness, and God's saying, no, it's time to be obedient. It's time to go for the crown. It's time to dream of a life that can be used by the Lord and receive a crown upon entering into eternal life. Is it time to apply yourself in hard work for the, for the crops? Wouldn't it be nice if the crops came without any hard work? Wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to plant any seed and pull any weeds and water and harvest? That would be great, wouldn't it? And that's the society that we live in. We think we're going to get results without any hard work. You want different results? It may be applying yourself in a different way and working hard. And as you work hard, make sure to be partaking in, in what you're sharing. And as we leave, we leave in the place that we started. Be strong in the grace of God. Because there's a lot to be discouraged in. I'm not a very good soldier. I'm not hardworking. I'm a disobedient athlete. I knew I was a loser before I came to study. Now I really know that I'm a loser, right? No, be strong in the grace of God. God gives us a vision of what he can do in our weakness. God, I'm, re- I'm reduced down. I've got 300 men, and there's 135,000. I've got three minutes. I've got three cents. I'm reduced down. And God goes, you're right where I want you to be, because then I can pour out my grace upon you. Let's stand together, and let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to be impacted by what we've read. You tell us in your word that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. That your word doesn't return void. So God, would you give us this grace that we read of in your word. That we trust has been given to us in Christ Jesus. And instead of getting discouraged where we fall short, that we could rely upon you. That you could pour out strength in our weakness. Let's apply that right now. As you think of a few weaknesses in your life, confess that to the Lord in humility, and then in faith, believe and receive his grace. And Jesus, as we come and celebrate communion, would you meet us here? in a fresh way. In Jesus' name, amen.